I went to a marvelous party. Don't even know the fact that the underlying ideas don't have enough depth to last for an entire season. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California. It's the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, the internet's first live comedy variety show. Featuring special correspondents from the worlds of entertainment, politics, and lousy relationships. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you through the dinnerpartyshow.com with your hosts, New York Times best-selling novelists Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Welcome to the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And this is a very special cocktail chatter edition of the show. Right? A part of the On the Road series that we're launching in honor of the book tour that Absolutely. you and Anne Rice are on um, all over the country. All over the country. We're a big mess everywhere. We're going everywhere. As we speak, you're in... I'm uh, as this airs. I am on my way to Minneapolis, Minnesota. You're not already there. Or maybe I'm already there. Oh I'm not God. exactly sure. If we use the microwave, we might go back in time. <laughs> I hear Minneapolis is a journey back in time. I've actually never been to Minneapolis. So as you're hearing this, I'm in a city I've never been to. Wasn't before. it voted the gayest place in America, or the most gay-friendly act, place in America, or the best place to be gay in America, or something like that? Maybe so. I maybe it was, but I and actually all the leather queens from. San Francisco, we're like, hey, hey, don't leave us out. Don't leave out that lovely and charming Folsom Street Fair. No, I actually heard the other day that the highest gay population per capita is now Atlanta, Georgia. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure their wives will be very surprised. <laughs> anyway, anyway, yeah. Surprise, girls. Exactly. Surprise, your husband's gay. The beach house survive. is all yours. <laughs> <laughs> Don't nobody run for governor. So I am in Minneapolis currently, and then from there we're going to New York City. And actually, I hear that you are going to be doing a series of Absolutely. traffic we're doing it, reports. Traffic reports for right. the On the Road series. It's Eric's traffic report. I'm trying to do my helicopter thing. This is live traffic reports right. from Christopher Rice and Ann Rice on the road for uh, hovering above the, the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway, where Christopher is en route from his Covington Books a Million signing. And back Anne to has New Orleans. no idea where she is because <laughs> she's just letting Beckett do everything. That's right, because she doesn't drive. <laughs> she doesn't drive. Actually, that's right. I I've never seen her behind the wheel of a car. Though she said she could drive if she needed to. I don't believe that statement. Yeah. We should challenge I believe her. I can fly. I think this could be a Thanksgiving activity. I think this has YouTube gold <laughs> written all over it. Anne Rice tries to drive a car for the first time I in think that years. that sounds great. Yeah, I've never seen her. I don't think she has a driver's license. She has a California ID, but I don't think she has an actual license. So I don't... Anyway, I'm not getting in a car with her. That much is true. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we should have her drive like on the freeway or anything, but maybe in the cul-de-sac or something. Kind of like how we let you we drive. We can challenge her to drive the car. It is kind of true. I drive like a mile a week. I yeah. drive to the pavilions and back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's safer for everyone. Well, I don't ever mind. I've never been a huge fan of driving. I love driving. I know. You've always said that. And it's great. I mean, some people do. I don't dislike it. I loved, I remember when I was young, I loved the sort of liberation of it. It was sort of yes, like absolutely. I had been set free. I could go into the world and do whatever I wanted to. But after that, the new kind of rubbed right off. I'm still pleased to be able to get in the car and go to the grocery store. But if I don't ever have to, oh, my God, I love Amazon and the Internet for just that reason. Like all of my shopping, I have already 
I'm not completely finished, but I am. I'm going to say 80% finished with my Christmas shopping. I don't want to talk about And the this. presents are wrapped. I, I just, this is a part of you that I have. Is the very office is filled with wrapped presents. But you can't have greater Christmasville and oh, be wrapped that's shopping true. and wrapping a bunch now, of presents. We had, we had start, we're coming up on our one year anniversary of the show. The show premiered on November 17th of last year, and we will be returning to live shows. On November 17th. In, in between, we're doing special shows like special this. Special anniversary show. Absolutely. we're doing. But in between, we're doing reports from the road, where I will be calling in with a new handy Skype microphone that we're testing out today for the first time. It looks really cool. It looks very know, cool. Maybe a piece of shit, but it looks great. I think I'll dress up like I'm in Tron whenever I use it and have a Tron outfit on. Will I be able to see you? Yeah, I, I'll be in another city, so you won't be able to see me. Well, It'll it's just be audio. Skype. You're Skyping, so won't I be able to? There are two Two sides to Skype. There's the audio and then there's the video. I'll talk, I'll, Brandon and I are going to work on this. I, I'm thing. not packing a Tron outfit. I was kidding. The <laughs> oh, Tron well, outfit. Well, never mind. I'm I can, not, yeah, I've no. seen you. If you're not in a Tron outfit. Yeah, eh. yeah right. Exactly. I don't know. What are you going to be for Halloween? Uh, you know it's still in development. I have exactly three more days to actually purchase a Halloween costume because then I'll be on the road. One of the things you're going to be doing on the road is going to the, the, re, the Lestat Reunion yes, Ball, right? Yes. In New Orleans. You guys haven't been for... Almost a decade. Oh my God! Almost a decade. There's an event, I, and I have to say, Do people well, have to get tickets. How does it's it... a ticketed event, and and it's it's essentially a, a series of concerts, right? It's a music event. Oh, but but it's also a costume party, and people come dressed. I think the costumes are pretty much within the world of Anne Rice, which is why I will probably be dressed up differently than I usually am. I'm more of a sort of West Hollywood. Halloween costume guy, which oh, means I so have recently... So you're going to be a baseball player or a football player I was a baseball again. player. I was a football player. Soccer player? Soccer have you done soccer player? player I've done them all, okay? And so that leaves me with one thing, which I'm not ready to do, which Swimwear? is... No, coach. And I don't think I'm at a coach level yet. Well, it's I, better than referee. A few more years and perform coach. I, you know, you've got those mirrored aviator glasses. I really think you should look into police officer. I will look Highway into patrol. it. Highway patrol. I will I look into really it. Be, I could be a good look for you. But not this year. This year is going to be more in the goth style that's appropriate to the Lestat reunion ball. I will I will be purchasing something at a little specialty shop in on Melrose here in Hollywood. And not eating anything week. with iron in it for a couple of weeks. <laughs> no, so you're especially get pale and anemic looking. Get not I'm going to get some powdered sugar off of the beignets at oh, Cafe du Monde. That's a much throw better on my face. And black lipstick. And black lipstick. And black yeah. fingernail polish. Exactly. Um, I am cutting my hair, though. I'm cutting my hair again this Saturday. Your, yourself? Yes, I'm going to do it myself with Crayola scissors like I did when I was about five years old. I think that picture is online. Oh, well. Yeah. Well, everybody... Will want to rush over and see Absolutely. that. Maybe and you can post it on the. I will post it, but the Lestat reunion ball. I'm sorry, you brought that up, and I went. I don't know where I went. Back to me. Everybody drink. Drinking game is in full right. effect. I went to the bathroom right before we started, so two drinks. We used to go to this party every Halloween when I was a little boy, and uh, it for one year it was the Memnock Ball, which was a very big special event that my mom actually put on herself with the Vampire Lestat fan club. And people assume she did an event at that level every year, and she didn't. That was really a one-time thing. And that took up the entire St. Elizabeth's Orphanage building in New Orleans on Napoleon and Britannia streets, at which we owned at the time. Good thing. Otherwise, we would have been in a lot yeah, of trouble. Yeah, the people at the orphanage would have been really like, what are all these people doing here? My God, this is so scary. <laughs> these are children. There was a naked woman. The children. The children. There was a naked woman who had to be escorted out. She was. Her costume was naked. That was what she did. Well, that's and really the antithesis of a costume. It was a statement and not a costume. I will give you that. And mom was very upset when she found out that the naked woman had been made to leave. Okay. <laughs> well, it is, you know, like it's freedom of expression in West Hollywood. I can't imagine anybody would even notice. I agree. I can't imagine they would notice either. Uh but I think there were children there, and it was maybe not an appropriate choice. But I think given everything else that was going on at that party, it was probably hard to notice the naked woman. I, it was I, or how it would be more inappropriate than all of the other things that were there, all of right. the blood-drenched anything else that might be present. Like, Well, we always, do we talk about that a lot? I always bring that up. That's like why we have such a higher tolerance for gory, awful violence in our culture than we do with consensual human sexuality. It's just one of those American things that I can't I wrap my head around. so puritanical and yeah. primitive. And it's just, 
it's so last year. Like, move on. I, I continue to be astonished that we continue to be talking about stuff that I think should have been settled in the 19th century. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, so anyway, there was a naked lady at the Memnock Ball. There was a naked lady at the Memnock Ball. Well, good ball. for her. So the but we have we mom used to put in a regular appearance at the Vampire Lestat fan club ball, which happened every year at Halloween, and she hasn't been in about eight or nine years, and so we're going back. And it where is be it being exciting. held this year? That's a really good question. <laughs> Don't know. So where yeah, can for, they find out? Is there, there is there a, a website. website? Yeah, there is there we a go. website, and I will say that the ball is part of a weekend of events called Undead Con, which is a little bit of a conference. I'll also be on writer panels. I think one of our party people, Greg Wilkie, will be there. He is uh, his uh, Mortimer Drake novels have been successful on Amazon, and he's a regular contributor to the Facebook page. Excellent. And I actually think Greg and I will be on a panel together in the course of the weekend. All right, we'll play nice. I will. Okay, yeah, you very nice. There'll be a whole series of events um, in in and around New Orleans. In fact, I think it's worth noting that at ChristopherRiceBooks.com. Yes, that's all one word. Christopher Rice Books. Dot com. Right. Um, there will be a schedule for the entire tour of yes. all the events. We'll be doing regular on the road traffic report updates here at the right um, at uh, at the show, but and on the probably on the page somehow, and certainly on the uh, the website. We'll see how yes. that works out. So if you're looking for those are the places to check, but. But the overall schedule will be is already, I guess. It's already up. It's, it's been already up for up a while. And it be, I'm doing a few events by myself, and those events are listed first under Christopher's events, and then the joint events come after that. So the the calendar is organized in two sections, and it's not chronological. Well, no, that's not confusing at all. It's not confusing at all. But some people just want to see me. I don't know. They yeah. think they got well, a shot I at think me or that something. It will be, maybe they'll just be in the neighborhood of where you are, and that's the best they can do. Right, absolutely. It's <laughs> sort of like CBS is number one because all of the people who watch the show are too old to get up and get the remote so they can't change the channel. <laughs> That's how CBS got to be number one. I, I have to say, I feel like we've we've covered the book tour thing, I, except maybe I should add in that there are a few, there are maybe two more days where you can take part in the pre-order giveaway. The pre-order giveaway ends on October 15th, which is the on-sale date for The Heaven's Rise. But before then... You can email a receipt for a purchase made prior to the 15th to theheavensrise at gmail.com, and you will, in mid to late November, once the tour is complete, receive a signed copy of an original manuscript page featuring author notes. And, and we wow. might even send um, Michael his the book that he won. We Not only do we need to send Michael the book that he won, which is The Heavens Rise, we need to send M. Ross Michaels his copy of Savage Nation, or Savage Love, I believe it's called, Dan uh-huh. Savage's book, which he won. Granted, to our credit, M. Ross Michaels, we actually had a hard time getting in touch with you, and we became distracted by our hair and boys we were into. There was something and shiny that we found at a place outside. Yeah, mm-hmm. but listen, dog with a puffy tail. We've been doing cocktail chatter on the Facebook page, which has been what I like to call an anarchical internet chat. Ooh, that's a mouthful. An anarchical internet chat. Anarchical. Well, we have this thing on there called um, nested comments, which makes it. I guess if it's a gradually growing thread over the course of a day or several days, it's fine. But we descend on it all at once, us and the party people. And I don't think Facebook can quite keep up. So it's this gloriously disorganized chat where we're all moving around and responding to different... So it's anarchy. Yeah, it's anarchy. Anarchical. Anarchical. Yeah, anarchical internet chat. So it's been a lot of fun, but there have been a lot of things happening in the world while we have been doing this. I mean, one of them is the new fall TV season, which is something you never have a oh shortage of. Oh my god! Yeah, there's about. really like there's so much to talk about. I, I although I have to say it, I think it is a particularly lame season, mm-hmm. and almost nothing has made it through the sieve. There are a couple of things I'm still giving a chance to. Um, Lucky Seven was the worst thing, and I've it's already gone. Ever it's seen been it? Canceled. It's already been canceled. Two Nobody wanted to see gone. it. It was just terrible. And that cute guy was on it. Will whatever his name is that I can never remember, or whatever his name is. He was on. <laughs> what was it? He was on Jack and Bobby. He's just adorable, and he he is or was briefly on uh, Mad Men. So he's had some career, but he's everything he's been on has always been canceled. I feel bad for him, and he was adorable, but it was still right. a terrible show. Um, all of the sitcoms, with the exception of Mom. I'm still hanging in there for mom, and I'm we'll see. For mom. I, mom has been uh, is like okay, but it's it's kind of but the rest of them have just everything has been crap. Michael J. Fox was, I just I I've been struck by it has occurred to me as I have watched the season that I wonder why it is that we will have the kinds of reality programming 
shows and plots and families Mm -hmm. for those shows. But when we go to create sitcoms or television shows for regular broadcasts, the, you know, the sort of regular series shows, suddenly we have to go back to this Donna Reed 50s kind of model for these incredibly boring, trite families doing the same things that I've seen on sitcoms since Lucy was, you know, new on the air. It's just... I think you've answered your own question here with another one of the points that you frequently make, which is that reality shows are about people we despise, not people we want to identify with. And I think the desperate desire of the sitcom is to create identification. And what that means is it appeals to fantasies of what families and people really believe themselves to be rather than the reality. The thing that I actually like about mom is that they're it, terrible. They're terrible. They're horrible. And they're people. flawed. And they're yeah, they're deeply flawed. And yet it's in this it's it reminds me of Roseanne, the way Roseanne felt really right. and suddenly real amidst a climate of sanitized, squeaky clean sitcom universes. And I you know, even then, I think there is even with mom, I think there is a tendency to veer back towards mm-hmm. aww. You yeah. know, like they managed to do it in a, in a, an unexpected way, mostly. Right. You know, but and it tends. I I, th- I like Chuck Lorre. I think he's very funny, but I think he's very crass, and so mm-hmm. it tends towards crass a little bit, which not is not necessarily what I'm looking for. But yeah, I just have been even the shows that they've tried. There was a show called. Um, uh, back in the game, I think it was called. It was uh, James Con. Uh, it was funny for the first pilot, and then we every episode ends with these sort of ah uh, sweet moments. I, Judd Apatow does it. Judd Apatow does these raunchy, crazy themed uh, comedy movies, and the endings are always a sweet sort of rapprochement where everybody's friends and everybody learns a lesson. I, you know, I. I don't understand that. Like, Mm -hmm. there is clearly such an obsession in our culture with this sort of horror world, the the honey boo boo world of uh, the housewives, world of reality. Why not? And I don't like those shows because they're not scripted. Those people are boring to me because they're just untalented people making up stuff as they go along because it's not real anyway. It's still as every bit as staged as um, any other kind of programming. Um, So I'm not a huge fan of unscripted anything because. I don't think people are that interesting, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see it as a point of departure, and yet it's not. Like, one of my favorite shows currently is a thing called uh, Shameless. Right. It's on Showtime, I Great think. Great show. I love that and show. And they are horrible, but they are a family coping with the horrors of their own reality in a creative, often quite funny, remarkable, and kind of— and. But, but, but talk about what you mean by horrible, you know, because they're not malevolent characters. No. One of them is the fa- the alcoholic father on Shameless. But is even the deep, alcoholic deep, father, deep in his but disease. he's just right. He's right. just he's really in the the throes of his disease. I, right. I don't even think he's intrinsically horrible, but he does stuff that's motivated and generated by right. this. Uh, yeah, I mean that they are. They're not depicted as everybody's sweet or everybody right. makes the charming decision. Right. You know, like the the hero girl who we quite love and quite identify with because what we identify with is that she wants the best for those kids. Right, absolutely. And that's where it ends. Right. The way in which she tries to achieve that by mm-hmm. having a club night, by hosting a club night where they rob all of the people who are – the cars they're parking or whatever mm-hmm. to raise money to help support the kids – you know, that's not – I don't identify with that, but I do identify with the basic ideas of it. You know, right. That's the sort of – that's the side of it that um, that that I find appealing. And, and I would love to see that translated more to commercial television. Commercial television is dying. I know. That's what I was going to say. compete in the real world. But where, we're in a, such a weird transitional time period because we do have big audiences now going to these edgy, limitless cable shows like Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. And we have the networks thinking that they want to go in that direction with content, but everybody that I talk, I talk to, excuse me, who develops TV shows says, they they talk, they talk say it out of one corner of their mouth, they'll say, give us a cable show, give us something character-driven, give us something that's serial, and then they'll turn around and say, what's the case of the week? 
And he said, I'm, I, I wrote a show for you about a family, a fucked up dysfunctional family. What do you mean the case of the week? Well, we still need a case of the week. We need something to advertise every week. You know, and, and so it's, they, they, they haven't made up their minds. They don't really, they can't wrap their arms I, I around the, the transition yet. I, and I think that it is the wrong people in charge. Yeah. You know, I think the people making those decisions clearly don't know what they're doing and they continue to be the people making the decisions. There are two things, there are several things that they do, I think, in creating television that that seem like a bad model for any business. They continue to hire the people that produced the shows that failed last year mm -hmm. to produce the new shows this year. That doesn't seem like a good strategy. Like, mm -hmm. if the shows failed, maybe you should consider different people. Mm -hmm. And they continue to allow the people who have made the decisions that have driven the networks really down the drains, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, cut their overall ad revenue to be in charge of making the decisions. And... They continue to um, create what they've done before and expect it to work. It, it's the you know the definition of insanity. It's right. the you know they they get people who are who have a great pitch and have no idea how to sustain mm -hmm. a long term story, and they only want to retell the stories that they've told from the past. Right. Exactly. Anyway, I, I, when we get back, we're getting ready to come up for a break, and so yes. when we get back, we'll talk about the shows that I am sticking with this season. Which is all, yeah. all two of them. And also, I hear some, something's going on with the government. I don't know. There are three. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, I've got a, yeah, we've got a, okay. a little suggestion see, for yeah, people suggestion. that I've been talking about lately that you encouraged me to, Absolutely. to bring to the, 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 the dinner party. Too. Exactly. The cocktail chatter of this mm -hmm. week's dinner party. Yep, and that, it's right, you are listening to a special cocktail chatter edition of the dinner party show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And we'll be back in a few. Life got you down? Tired of all those pesky regulations? Is the liberal nanny state establishment infringing on your constitutional right to do whatever the hell you feel like? Are a bunch of bleeding hearts worried about murdered school children trying to deny you the right to buy and use weapons of mass destruction? Sounds like it's time you got away to Somalia! With no effective national government for decades, Somalia offers the kind of haven true mavericks like you keep saying you're looking for. Who needs roads, healthcare, or law enforcement? No one here will try to prevent you from owning a machine gun. In fact, we encourage you to carry one at all times. Because when there's a problem here in Somalia, you're on your own. From the sparkling ruins of the former capital to the dark, post-apocalyptic wasteland stretching on as far as the eye can see, Somalia beckons to those like you, yearning to break free of the bondage of a social safety net and working infrastructure that is keeping you from living up to your potential. If you're tired of a strong central government and the running water, electricity, and civil order that implies, then Somalia is just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> Only kidding, we don't have doctors or taxes because there's nothing to pay for. Just an opportunity to scratch out a subsistence living while you avoid the roving bands of thugs and terrorists who are taking full advantage of our extreme free market opportunities. So, if you think you'd be better off with a government small enough to drown in a bathtub, come to Somalia and be free of government and bathtubs! Somalia, for people who think government is the problem but who have no idea what that really means. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. My co-host, Christopher Rice, is currently on nationwide book tour with his mother, novelist Anne Rice. Christopher is promoting the release of his first supernatural thriller, The Heavens Rise, and Anne is celebrating her new novel, The Wolves of Midwinter, the second installment in the Wolf Gift Chronicles. A complete tour schedule is available on Christopher's website, www.christopherricebooks, that's all one word, christopherricebooks.com. But I want to keep you posted on what they're up to week to week, so if there's an event in your area, you won't miss your chance to meet Anne and Christopher in person. On Monday, October 14th, Anne and Christopher will be in Minneapolis, where they will do a joint signing at the Mall of America at 6 p.m. 
On Wednesday, October 16th, they're in New York City at the Barnes & Noble in Union Square at 7 p.m. On Thursday, October 17th, they visit upstate New York, where they'll be in conversation together at the Northshire Bookstore in Saratoga Springs at 7 p.m. with a joint signing to follow. And on Saturday, October 19th, Christopher flies solo to Philadelphia, where he'll be reading and signing The Heavens Rise at the beloved independent bookstore Giovanni's Room at 5.30 p.m. More details about all of these events can be found on the complete tour schedule at www.christopherricebooks, that's all one word, christopherricebooks.com. More importantly, if you can't make any of these events in person, don't hesitate to contact the stores directly. Many will have signed copies of both Christopher and Anne's books available for sale online. The Heavens Rise and the Wolves of Midwinter, currently on sale wherever books are sold. But don't miss the chance to meet Christopher and Anne in person as their nationwide book tour continues. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and we now return you to the Dinner Party Show. We grow tired of those from the land to the south, eh? Their cultural imperialism dominates every aspect of our lives, steals the brightest from our lands, and takes all our best hockey players. Cheers. Good evening. Une autre tuerie aujourd'hui au centre-ville, possiblement reliée à un groupe de terroristes. that far away, where the people are reasonable and remarkably well-mannered, one man's destiny was to politely suggest an alternative. Bob, where are you going, eh? I'm going south to gain control of their soul-crushing imperialist armies of cultural dominion and bring them down from within. Music? No, Bieber and Buble have already triumphed over that sickly industry. I'm going for the Holy Grail. You don't mean... That's right. I'm going to be Jay's replacement. They were not content to live in the zillions of acres of pristine lands that had more or less fallen into their laps without so much as an argument, let alone a struggle. No, they wanted control of the angry, self-destructive, really, really rich tribe to the south. They were Canadian. You're so impatient, dude. Why not just wait for the production tax incentive trap to do its work? Eventually their television will all look like Vancouver and be so bad they'll stop watching. We figured since we filmed everything in Canada anyway, we might as well make a show about the place. Victory! Stop doing that, eh? Sorry. Canadians, coming this fall to the History Channel. We can't remember why we called it that either, but we're still doing better than the Learning Channel. Canadians, watch it if there's nothing better on. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to a special cocktail chatter edition of The Dinner Party Show because I am currently on a plane to Minneapolis as you're hearing this. (laughs) (laughs) Which is where I like to do my cocktail chatter. (laughs) On planes to Minneapolis. There's got to be a song out there about being on a plane to Minneapolis. Well, maybe you should write one. Maybe I should. Maybe that's how how you'll get rich. That's how I'll get rich. On a plane to Minneapolis. On a plane to Minneapolis. Yeah, I would check with, I would check out. I'm not rich. But look in. <laughs> Richer. Um, look into, uh, I think I would check out Prairie Home Companion first because that would seem like the sort of song yes. they might already have. Absolutely. You could come up with the gay version since we're the fairy home companion. A fairy home companion, right? absolutely. Uh, we were just talked about in The Advocate again, on theadvocate.com, I should say. We, uh, As we you know, came into the studio today, a article went up, which is an interview with me. But we talk oh. about the show, and it links to the piece in which we were dubbed a fairy home companion, which Excellent. they stole from your sister. Well, we kind of stole it from my sister well, and told it to everybody because we thought I always it was a gave riot. your sister credit, though. Yes. I'm always very careful to give people accredita- accreditation, accreditation, accreditation. Yeah, I think all of those things are yeah. great. I should learn how to pronounce Attribution. Stuff. Attribution. That's probably the better word yeah, for accreditation it. is really more like... Um, we're allowed to teach medical studies at our school. Well, you're allowed to have opinions, so you have. We have accreditation. I have accreditation. For Eric right? Accreditation. Opinion accreditation. 
I I stole a bunch of jokes from you when we first met, I think, or something. I don't remember. I felt bad, or I would give interviews and express your ideas. And then as you if completely stopped. And then I did. No, I then I started saying, as my best friend Eric Sharquin says. And you know what? I said it so much that when I went on Jack Morrissey's podcast, Team Jack, he actually titled the episode "My Best Friend Eric Sharquin." Right. So that should give you a sign of how. Yeah, much Jack always that I calls me that you. when he's here. Yeah, and my favorite thing is that you will call me and say, "Did you say so?" And so, and it's like, well, it seems like the sort of. Thing I called I say, you but... the other night about a tweet that I posted, and you said, "No, you're you're good, you're fine. I want to go back to watching TV. I just made a lovely salad. Leave me alone." <laughs> that sounds like me too. No, it doesn't sound like you. So we were talking about the new fall TV season, which is something you have no shortage of opinions about, but also very few shows have made it through your filter. Wait, can I say what I did I'm this telling. season? Yeah, sure. I made an announcement that I would not be watching any of the pilots. Because I was tired of getting my heart set on shows that were ultimately canceled. Well, it wouldn't have been a problem this year. I Yeah. And I also didn't like shows that went off the rails in the second or third episode. There were a lot of really great pilots and then shows that were like, oh, my God, who fucked this right? up? Yeah. Uh, so I decided not to watch. And I've been relying solely on your wise and educated opinions but there have not been a lot of shows that you've given a really there haven't like to. i'm like i've stuck with in fact i i've really given up on some shows this year that i've been listening <laughs> i've been watching for years like i i took uh modern family out of the mix modern family oh. is the perfect example a show that started out great really interesting really interesting ideas mm -hmm. really unexpected kind of character twist that show that episode the incident yes. remains one of the best sitcom television the kind of sitcom that i wish i was seeing all the time mm -hmm. um and then they turned it into sweet traditional completely stereotyped um, I've seen it a million times before. The thing that has kept me watching is the cast is so brilliant that mm. they literally rise above the hideous material that they have been increasingly presented with. But I watched the premiere. I'm glad that um, the two gay characters are engaged because they can be. And I just can't take it anymore. They have turned them into the most stereotypical gay couple that I've ever seen, which is really unfortunate because they weren't when the show came on initially. And they have become, everybody has become a stereotype. Like, she's the sort of uh, Sophia... Varaga. Varaga. Vergara. Mm. Um, whatever her last name is. Welcome to the mispronunciation become, episode has of become the dinner the party Desi, show. You know, has become Desi Arnaz of modern... Yeah, yeah it's really like... I, and she's brilliant. She's yeah. a brilliant comedian. Like, why are we doing this? Like that thing where the, about the driving. Anyway, so the point is, I've given up. I, I'm actually I'm going to watch the um, the Fen Memorial on Glee, and then that's it for Glee. I I don't even know what that show's about anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I uh, but anyway, um, I don't like the network model. Period. I don't like the idea that you have to make a show work for eight or nine seasons. I don't think it works with anything other than procedural mystery shows like Law and Order and other other sort of case of the week shows. And I think this idea of these sort of loose family frameworks that have to go on season and season, I've had it explained to me, and I think it's the truth, there's really only so much you can do with a family show. Well, there really is. There what are I would, so many stories. What lines. I would say to that is that's because they're not hiring novelists to no, put together the show. Point. That's a good point. Like, if you yeah. took The Vampire Chronicles, how many seasons would that run? Well, it's happening with Game of Thrones. Right. right. Game of Thrones is another brilliant example. Like, if you involve somebody who actually knows how to spin out yeah. a story, the problem is is that we keep returning to the cop procedural, the family sitcom, the, the same tired, worn-out ideas again and again. Like, just bringing Robin Williams or Michael J. Fox, both of whom I'm crazy about, dragging them into the sitcom format and then forcing the same old plots on them that mm -hmm. you've seen a million times. I, I, I just, I can't stay for that. Right. What I am staying for this season, uh, for now, Mom, which mm -hmm. we talked about right. the last thing, I, I'm willing to give that a... Uh, another couple of episodes, although they are tending towards the sweet factor, which I may actually, run me off. I liked the most recent episode. I thought it was really funny. The, the final the yeah. I'm a good mom moment at the end was actually exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. Right. That's brilliant. Right. That's turning that whole stereotype yeah. on its head. So, yeah, I, I recommend that one. 
I'm staying with uh, the blacklist for now. Uh-huh. I think it needs work, but I think it's fun. I think it's a premise. I think this week's episode was the best one yet. So they continue to progress. I think they may get, you know, I don't want them to go down that lost. I, I need to know that they know where they're going. Mm-hmm. Like, so I can't take the lost thing where they clearly don't know where they're going and they're making it up as they right, go along. Right. And they say it's not about purgatory and then it is about purgatory mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Is it purgatory? I don't. I don't know. Whatever. I had given up on the show. A lot of these. I'm. I'm keeping my mouth shut. But I gave up on Modern Family long before you did, for the reasons you laid out. I gave up on Lost because I just had the sense that they didn't know where they were going, and I don't want to be in the hands of someone who's right. just pulling stuff out of their butt. And that's going to be the thing if if Blacklist that runs was, me that was off. Quite a mixed metaphor, by the way. I don't want to be in the hands of someone who's pulling stuff out of their butt. That's those are some busy hands. But anyway, yeah, and, and yeah, kind of maybe not the cleanest. Because ones. Blacklist is about. Essentially, the mystery of why this super criminal James Spader has this connection and insists on working with this very young but smart rookie agent. And they're not – now, granted, I haven't seen this week's episode, so maybe there's a big reveal. But if they keep teasing that season after season after season without saying they're related or without giving some explanation, uh, you know, I think that that is a new brand – maybe it's not new, but it is an annoying and prevalent brand of – of edging storytelling. I absolutely right? agree with you. you they, they ruined, uh, they ended up ruining um, Burn Notice, which I quite liked when it came on the air, with that sort of storytelling. They kept teasing this sort of like plot line. Plot, they would do like the last five minutes mm-hmm. of every episode, there would be a phone call or a revelation for some tiny little pro- progress on the the Uber arc mm-hmm. and then the case of the week every week. And they lost what made the show sort of fun and lighthearted and it became this serious – by the end, it was just brutal. I just couldn't wait for it to be over. Absolutely. It was a brutal sort of exercise. I think that there's that – I think it – it's a misguided effort to try and bring what I'm talking about, the sort of spinning out a storyline over mm-hmm. a greater period of time to episodic television. I, right. I think you can have both, but but I think it's an art, and I think it is one that is not often achieved. I don't know if they will achieve it with Blacklist, but I am I am more hopeful. There are little glimmers, but there is a sense that that they know right. what it is that the that the mystery is that they're not revealing and to us. And there's a case of teasing. the week on Blacklist. And there's a it's case a of the week. It's a new terrorist they're fighting every week. And so they're far. doing an interesting because that's the list. It's, right. uh, they're following the list. So that doesn't that's not a problem. That's a given of the show mm-hmm. and it continues to evolve but each week in a unique enough way so far yeah. that it's not doesn't feel formulaic because I get bored. The other show that I'm trying to stick with is Agents of Shield and the same thing is the case. Like, I'm willing to give – it needs work, mm-hmm. and they need to establish a more firm direction. They are probably weaker than at this point than the other. But I loved Firefly. I love Joss Whedon. I really – I love this franchise, so I'm really hoping that Part of why I checked more. out or why I insisted on checking out is because these are th- these episodes, right, that we're in with this season are the worst of any TV show because – Everybody is fucking in there with an opinion. They're looking at the ratings with a magnifying glass. They're going to muddy. People are going to pull it in this direction. People are going to pull it in this direction. And I almost want to either commit to a cable show that's in the can before they start airing it, which is how a lot of cable shows are, or I want to. I want to wait until it's fine tuned and has legs. I just. I can't stand being in. I can't stand being the voice that isn't listened to in the shows that I love. You know. (laughs) But there is a new school of thought that one of the places that they go is Twitter. And Facebook, that they do go and look at fan reactions to shows now, and and that it does affect their decisions on how they're going to treat the show, what night they're going to put the show on, how they're going to rewrite the show. TV writers are encouraged to get uh, Twitter accounts, and it doesn't always go well. Some of them get in fights with, you know, there's instances of TV writers saying to particularly insistent fans, this is my fucking show. You don't write on my show. I can't remember. Exactly who it was, but one of them did. Well, I think you it's know. a terrible idea. Like, I do too. Once again, like it, it's as, as I say of reality programming, if real life was interesting, we wouldn't need books and television and movies in the first place. Absolutely. Like, I don't care what the general public thinks. If I want to hear what they think, I can go to the grocery store. I can talk with you know anybody right. immediately around me. I want somebody who's skilled and unique at storytelling. Yeah. Like, what would Charles Dickens have been if he had asked people? If what his they novels had a, comment, yeah. a Facebook comments thread at the right. end, right? Like I just think yeah. that would have been a catastrophe. Where right. would Jane Austen be today? 
you know, aside mm-hmm. from being absolutely torn to shreds by people who are incapable of writing their own books, <laughs> keep bastardizing hers. But where would she be if she had had – if every opinion and everything had been based on – because she is not in keeping with what the popular opinions and women's thoughts of her times were. Right. Like yeah. you want the originality. All right, I agree. Anyway, so anyway, but, but even in that equation, my voice wouldn't be heard because I don't agree with the majority of people and their opinions. And as we always talk about, there is a performative aspect to people who go on those comment threads to hate on things. They say the things that they think will get them the most attention in the, in the thread, and they're not the most valuable to the discussion. But you know, whatever. We can, it's kind we, of every like, show we do ends up being about how, how we're people running behave. the government these yeah, days. The government now. Okay, so we're running the government in exactly the same way. People it's are very, saying things that they think will get them votes. Rather than things that are about what they believe or what the best thing is for the country. And I'm really, really at the end of my rope here lately. I know. And let me preface this because I don't know. There may be a chance that the government is up and running again by the time this airs. It doesn't change my opinion But it doesn't change your opinion and it doesn't change the suggestion that you're going to make, which is to furloughed federal employees. Well, and to the American public in general, Mm -hmm. I think that there is – one can make a case for it. I honestly – I would like to preface it if, if we're doing prefaces by saying I'm not a lawyer and I don't actually know what's legally possible. I know that it's not possible to sue the government, and I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like the government is not subject to constant lawsuit. I think that would be a waste of taxpayer money, and I, I don't think it's a good – but I am of the mind this, this shutdown mm-hmm. has really demonstrated to me that the problem isn't with our government – The problem that we're having currently is with these two private organizations that are unregulated, unaccountable to anybody, and pursuing their own private agendas that are not necessarily in the best interest of the United States government. And Mm -hmm. those are the political parties. Mm -hmm. I think that I would like to – my suggestion at this point would be that the federal employees Mm -hmm. and maybe large groups of Americans sue – the Republican Party for personal damages inflicted on them by a private organization who has literally shut down our government in pursuit not of anything that's of benefit to the government, but of their own personal political agendas. I don't think that's an appropriate mm-hmm. – I, I, I just – I find it really – incredibly questionable that these completely unregulated, completely private entities, Mm -hmm. they are not government entities. They are not accountable to anyone except themselves. And there is no assurance that the agendas of either party has anything to do with what's best for the government, what's best for the American people. You know, they're about how, who can raise the most money. And so who can represent this billionaire or that billionaire and their interest or their, uh, their tax, uh, their their uh, their efforts to uh, limit their tax liability mm-hmm. through shutting down the government and eliminating um, social programs and the things that we rely on, we regular Americans rely on the government to do. If you're not willing to participate in that process, then I don't think you should be there. Mm-hmm. I think it should be. I think you should be ejected. If if the gun lobby or any other group was doing the kinds of things that the Republican and the Democratic parties in mm-hmm. their own turn, but right now it's really this um, this very radical um, faction of the Republican Party doing the kinds of things that they're – if any other organization was doing these kinds of, the, of things to our government, they might be criminally liable, let alone civilly. Mm-hmm. I, I just – I would really – if. If the federal employees, if the 800,000 federal employees sued the Republican Party for a billion dollars mm-hmm. for shutting down the government, and that wouldn't actually be a great deal of money to each of the 800,000 people who are furloughed and their families, mm-hmm. um, it might get their attention. Right. You know, I wouldn't mind if it put them out of business. I would love to see us move into a more sort of parliamentary system where mm-hmm. we have par- political ideologies mm-hmm. having to debate and compromise with each other to move things forward. Cause right. I think that's a positive model. We are but, currently in a situation where 
representatives representing 18% of the population of this country have managed to shut down the government. We have politicians who have been in office for just a matter of months sending letters to Speaker Boehner explaining to him with his 20 to 30 years, I believe, of, of experience, experience in public office, explaining to him how the government should run and how policy should be made. This is crazy. This is an upside-down world that we're in and, with this. And this I mean, is not how this is not how government should be run because it isn't running. Yeah, so clearly, running. that's a bad model. Right. Like, I totally get that people might be not fans of, of what we're calling Obamacare, of the Affordable Health Care Act. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are actual ways to grieve that, to debate that, yeah. to make other alternatives, to try and change the law. The, there are actually legitimate ways to do that. And this is not one of them. Mm-hmm. This is a group of people pursuing a personal vendetta and a private agenda that is not in the interest of the country and is not – how you mm-hmm. run the government right. or make policy. It's not. It is just how – this is blackmail mm-hmm. and extortion, and I right. think that it should be treated as such. It's not being criminally treated that way, but it could be Well, similar. the president is referring to it as such. Uh, I think that was the latest headline now as he said, I- I'm willing to talk as soon as the extortion demands are off the table. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's a good thing to say. I've what do you think of the role Harry Reid of- has actually taken up my term anarchists. Yes, I saw he's that. He's calling people – he's calling them anarchists. Look, I've been calling them that though, right along. The, the the New York Times did an interesting piece about the constellation of, of, of groups, lobbying groups that are behind this government shutdown. And apparently Americans for Prosperity is not one of them. I believe that's the Koch brothers. Yeah. Was not in favor of a government shutdown, believes this current position is too radical and is too extreme. But there are other groups out there that were very much in favor of it. And they're all very fringe. I mean, very radical right wing fringe. And so the question now is, where are the fucking moderates in the Republican Party and why are they acting like little trailer bitches? And the other question that I have is, what do you think? <laughs> Little trailer bitches. Well, I'm wow. sick of it. I'm sick of Peter King and John McCain acting like these big blustery idiots when they get on cable news and then not being able to marshal voices in their own party. You say this all the time, and I think it's true. As a Democrat, you know, as, a, as what I would consider to be a, a pretty liberal Democrat, I believe there is a vital need for an opposition party. I, we are a two-party Absolutely. system, and we need another party to argue against. At least and I don't parties. believe I'm I right wish, about everything. I wish there was more than two parties. <laughs> you know, I wish there was five yeah, or six. I wish true. there was no clear majority so yeah. that they had to compromise and they had to debate and they had to right. put together coalitions for everything. I think right. that's what I mean by a parliamentary system where right. there's – Five parties. Like the uh, the thing, my suggestion would be they should throw these people out of the Republican right. Party. They continue to allow this group. Like the reason that they're all too chicken to do what it is that uh, Speaker Boehner won't do is that they're afraid of getting. Um, Primary, they're afraid right, of getting right. defeated in their own. Uh, but so, that's where the districting issue comes. So in, right? kick these people out of your party. Tell them that they, you know, we won't support you. We will not pursue. But you what about not- this idea? I, I think that's great. I, but what about this idea of of the role that gerrymandering has played? Because the, these the eighteen percent of the population that I was referring to were all from districts that were gerrymandered after the election or immediately prior to the election. They're majority Republican. They're majority white. They don't live in the America that the rest of us are living in. In their America, Obama lost by a landslide to Mitt Romney. You know, And so their representatives are doing what they think they should do to actually represent these people. What about this idea of nonpartisan political districts across the country? I mean, isn't that part of the problem here? I know we would probably lose more as a result of that. But this idea of political parties being able to shape districts no, to suit their needs, I, like, I know, don't get honestly, it. I don't agree with that. I, you know, like, yeah, I think gerrymandering is a problem. It has been a problem on both sides. It just depends on who's in the majority when the census happens as to who gets to shape the districts. And I think that it has been abused. And I think that the people who are suffering the most for its abuse in this particular instance is the Republican Party. Because they've been isolated from everybody else. Well, because they have – they're now, oh, the party they're now large being, held being held hostage held by, the yeah. by this group that they have created to try and get a majority. We had the same thing happen to us the last time we were in the majority in the House. There were all of these ultra-conservative Democrats who were always – the blue everything. dog Democrats, right? We brought, right? The, we brought them in because we wanted to be in the majority. We were willing to do anything to get the majority. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, why is that the objective? Mm-hmm. Why is getting to be the majority the objective? I know that you can't govern if you're not in the majority. Right. But get, the Senate has proved that you don't – that that doesn't really necessarily you help. govern. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what I would like to see is that we were – is some some way of – 
holding these groups to account for their behavior because they are not governing. Mm-hmm. Right? This is the absence mm-hmm. of governance. Like I, I think that everybody's opinions need to be, including those 18%, including those – uh, small, those primarily white groups of people who they're, they're calling Romneo, them the suicide Alanza. caucus. Fine, now. yeah. I, I think that the people that they represent need to be represented, but mm-hmm. they need to be represented proportionally to their inclusion in the rest of the government. Right. If that group wants to get legislative things done, mm-hmm. they need to be put in the position of actually having to build coalitions with other groups so that they can have a majority, right. so that they can succeed. I don't have any problem with that. Mm-hmm. But that's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. This is not governance. Right. This is the absence of governance. Mm-hmm. This is people obfuscating governance. This is people right. obstructing government. These are people refusing to participate in the government and I think we should oblige them, either civilly or legally, in some way that they be ejected. Like, if right. you're not willing to play, then get out or pay the consequences, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, some billion-dollar class action lawsuits might be a great way to get the attention of some of these groups. I, I don't know what else to do at this point. I feel completely – I am powerless over my government, but it is my government, and it is no longer accountable to me. Mm-hmm. It is being accountable to a political power structure that's principal goal is self-propagation. It isn't, it has nothing to do with what's best for the country or what's moving us forward or getting us into the 21st century so we can stop talking about antediluvian bullshit from 150 years ago. Like, I think the Victorian era is over and we can leave those discussions behind now. Mm -hmm. Women can be in charge of their own genitals. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Enough said. Right, exactly. Anyway, that's what I think. Anyway, well, it's been kind of a challenging not to have live shows going on during this government shutdown since we clearly have so much to say about it, but we got a chance to finally air our views right? as part of this special edition of the Dinner Party Show. And we're, we're interested in your views. Co- yes, share our views. Shea Butters is probably currently on the page. On typing the Facebook away. Page, typing so away with Tell Shay what you. you think. And when we come back, we will begin to do shows of a certain nature for the next few weeks. I will be calling in with that microphone we mentioned earlier. On the road. And giving reports from the road. Traffic reports. And Eric will be back here in L.A. minding the studio. So we will have new content for you at our regular showtime on Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And new shows going to our podcast subscribers and into our show archive as well. So that's very exciting. It's great to be back in the studio. It is great. It. It's a lovely studio. It's so well air conditioned. Right? It's it very is. well. It's just Absolutely. freezing in here. I it's just love that. Fucking freezing in here. The nipples are standing out like nails. Uh, so anyway, I think that about does it for this edition of the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And we'll be back next Sunday at the usual time. Thanks for listening. I've been to a marvelous party.